Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to hair and makeup designer Kate Hall about her work on The Crown. Hall is a two-time Emmy nominee, a BAFTA Television Craft Award nominee, and a two-time Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild Award nominee. I'm absolutely so thrilled to be chatting with you today. Thank you. (laughs) The Crown, I, I think, is... I mean, honestly, it's the event of the year whenever it comes out. So I have to say, this is really such a treat to be able to chat with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're sort of all a bit obsessed with it ourselves. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's been um, it's been a huge part of all our lives. It's been, for me, five years. So we've just finished filming our final season. So it's yeah. All, yeah, it's sort of a bit emotional at the moment. Yeah. What was it like to sort of, I mean, walk away from the set on the final day? Yeah. I mean, it, we were just sort of up and down all week. I, I mean, I think I started crying on about the Wednesday. So by Friday, I was kind of jubilant. I was all cried out. It was really nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, it's, I mean, you're creating history. I mean, literally. And so it, it's, it's hard to say goodbye to something like that. I can I can only imagine what it's like. Yes, I think it's ch- it's literally changed our lives, you know, and it's been a real opportunity to learn so much and to work with the same people over and over again, which is quite unusual, I think. So yeah, it feels kind of walking away from those people has felt really big. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, looking back at, I mean, the the six seasons, I mean, what has been the biggest thing that you've learned? One about, I mean, a family that is so notable, and then two about yourself. Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, so I didn't do seasons one and two, so I can't lay claim to because that work was beautiful, but it wasn't mine. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me with the royal family is how terrible it must be to grow up in that environment and I think I had my baby just before I started working on the crown and you know you learn a lot about parenting (laughs) and you think I'm just so glad that she has a kind of normal normal life and what it must be like to be a sort of microscope under the the lens of the media which they are all the time and also being bound by those kind of aristocratic traditions I think just means that parenting wise they were sort of they're all doomed you know from the off I think it's really it's really tough and then you see someone like Diana who tried a kind of more normal parenting style and 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 just was thwarted I think all the time by the expectation about about how her children should live Mm. no I in terms of me I mean, the the thing I think was so brilliant is the scale of ambition of the show. So you join and and nobody on the crew is ever happy or done, you know, like everyone is always like, so how can we, how can we make this more real? How can we find authenticity? How can we do this better? And so you sort of, after five years of just still pushing to find, I mean, from my perspective, ways to make wigs look like hair, um, (laughs) it's been um it's just been amazing to work in a in a body of people who are that committed it's been really fantastic Mm. and I mean 
going into season five, I mean, what was the biggest challenge for you? So I think having done it before with season three and four, there was a lot that felt easier because I felt like we'd sort of developed a bit of a recipe in terms of how we create those characters. And I felt like I knew the way we filmed the crown, um, the grade, you know, the way, the way it's shot, the way it's lit. Mm -hmm. so that felt loads easier. And the casting, I have to say, I think was absolutely exceptional, um, which really helps me, obviously, because they find huh. people that are already, you know, most of the way there and then they bits and, and they're really believable. Challenge wise, it's going to be really boring. But COVID, we came back, you know, amidst the pandemic wearing full PPE being tested on this crazy regime constantly and then you know members of the department would still get COVID and then the whole COVID protocol I mean it it was just managing that whilst working at that the level of intensity we work at which for a long time it's sort of it's it's eight months um that I think was actually the hardest thing when I think back to season five the never knowing when the bomb would drop and like some of your team would be wiped out as close contacts and you'd have to sort of think we're filming in two different countries at the same time and how do we replace because every artist has a very nuanced relationship with their actor that they're looking after and we, you know we try to keep principal cast with the same makeup people um so it's really difficult to get someone else to step into those shoes last minute so i think the kind of unknown of covid meaning that a schedule that was ever changing because the crown schedule changes constantly. There was this extra layer of, you can't really trust that everything is gonna continue as you've planned. So you're just constantly like trying to mitigate against various different um, unknowns. And I think that for me was the hardest. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, in regards to, I mean, two central figures, I, I would love to dive into um, Diana first, and I mean, going from the lovely Emma to mm -hmm. Elizabeth, I mean, what what changed in terms of um, your approach for Diana there? So I think for me, the thing with Diana was that in between those two seasons, it felt like she grew up. Um, and so season four was all about Diana starting as this very young ingenue, and then kind of becoming more worldly and understanding the world she was in and being deeply damaged by it. But suddenly in season five, I think we've got a Diana who's sort of, she really knows who she is and what she wants. And that is massively at odds with the institution. And so for me, I think we had to find that sort of global superstar and she luckily, Peter seems to write his scripts around when people cut their hair. I'm sure he doesn't, but it feels very handy that, that this works for me. And in 1991, Diana had had that very famous Sam McKnight haircut where she cropped her hair. Um, and I think it's not necessarily the most flattering hairstyle where it's really tightly cut to the, I mean, she was very beautiful, so she very much carried it off, but trying to do that with a wig so that it looked real, um, was really technically challenging. And then deciding how we would evolve from that, which looked very, very much 1991, to where we leave her in 1997, um, which is altogether kind of blonder, more glamorous, shinier, smoother hair. Um, 
and this kind of megawatt movie star kind of image. I think trying to plot that journey was quite tricky because, you know, our episodes are shot in blocks and they're not necessarily um, sequential. So you might be shooting episode three and episode 10 at the same time. So figuring that stuff out was quite tricky. But to be honest, in terms of working with Elizabeth versus Emma, actually the process was the same because, you know, the actors bring the same level of commitment and energy to the part. So you start very early on with wig fittings. The difficulty was that Elizabeth was in Australia and quarantined and I was in the UK. Mm. And we were trying to find somebody to take a head shape so I could get the wigs because the wigs take ages to make. So I need to get them made ahead of fittings. And our, there weren't there weren't any hairdressers, like wig people that at the time were willing to travel interstate in Australia to get to where Elizabeth was. And I was like having a nervous breakdown about how we were going to get the wig sorted. And then my wig maker, Alex Rouse, made Elizabeth's wig for the night manager about 10 years ago or something, eight years ago. Um, and they found there was this jubilant moment where she called me and she was like, I've got her head shape. And it was <laughs> this kind of crusty bit of sellotape cling film kind of screwed up at the bottom of a box somewhere. And she'd found it and we were like, it will all be okay. <laughs> and so, and then, so once Elizabeth got here, then we could start our process of, you know, cutting these wigs. Cause I think one, that I feel very um, sure about is that when you're doing a transformation, the actual technicality of the haircut is the thing that makes it look right. And mm. I think Sam McKnight actually said we'd got the Diana the most right out of anyone so far. And I was like, yes, he's a legend. Yeah. No, I I mean, the second that she came out in the revenge dress, I was like, yes, this is it. You guys have done it. You guys have done it. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, um, the queen, I mean, going from mm -hmm. Olivia to um, Amalda, I mean, what what was I mean, what was that transformation like? Because, I mean, like you said, I mean, the they're obviously bringing the same commitment to um, to the character. But mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of the changes that had to happen, what what happened there? So I think mercifully, the queen sort of her whole thing is consistency, right? Or her whole thing was consistency. So actually her hairstyle basically stayed the same from the early sixties through to her death. Yeah. Um, but I feel like with Imelda, because Imelda's coloring was that much more suitable in terms of her eye color, she already had steely gray hair. Um, and although we wigged her, it's a lot easier to sell sell that color if you have somebody who already is of that skin tone and that eye color and her eyebrows were really good already. Um, so really it was a case of just getting the right distribution of grays and whites and the right texture in the wig um, and then cutting it to the right shape. Um, and Imelda was very, where Olivia is, she's just really relaxed so Olivia will be like oh no no you do what you think that's all fine she's just very very accommodating which is great and Imelda is very very precise and specific so Imelda will be 
engaged in that transformation process, there was um, a phrase she would use like, it's a gnat's whisker. If it could just be a gnat's whisker, you know, here or there, and she would get her hands in and she'd play with it herself. And I felt like that, that relationship and that process was really, was really wonderful um, because she, she just really wanted the details to be correct. So yeah, Imelda is, is just very, very precise and, and was very, very committed to, to that transformation. So we, she let us play with dyeing her eyebrows, bleaching them out, retinting them, um, just lots of little, little tiny tweaks like that, that I think really helped. Mm. And I mean, you're obviously working on a show that is being, I mean, watched by the masses um, and heavily scrutinized just in terms of the fact that these are real people. And I mean, it would probably keep me up at night <laughs> having to do something like this. But how do you, I mean, how do you wake up in the morning and just say like, everything's going to be fine? Or do you even say that? Well, I think, so I think this applies to film and TV as a whole, right? So my, the, the, when I analyze the kind of stresses of my job, but actually I think it's everybody's job yeah. in that what you do is you prep and prep and prep, but all you're doing is trying to mitigate against problems in the future, but you have no idea if you've managed that or not. And you will never know until you're in that very expensive moment on set where, you know, it's cost hundreds, hundreds of thousands of pounds and everybody's waiting. But I do think because I had done the two seasons before and I have this kind of, I want to say recipe, but a process that I go through with the actors that I think is, I, it feels fairly reliable. But I mean, I lack perspective. So I'll leave it to you to say whether you think, you know, the transformations were super effective. But I think you have to leave some of that behind. Like you have to say, this isn't, it's not a drama doc. It's not a, a waxwork. It's not a biographical account. This is my small part in helping an actor find their character. And mm. whether their character is alive or dead or real or not, it's this, it's this kind of marriage between the actor, the costume, the hair, the makeup, the lighting, the set. And I think you have to trust that everybody else takes that weight along with you. And that it isn't heart surgery. So no one is going to die, although I would die of shame if people said that's terrible. But like, I, I, I don't know, I don't think it's, I, I think if I let that get to me, I'd have a terrible time because it's, it's, a, you know, it's nearly a year door to door that you work on the show. And I think that's why prep is, is an anxious time because you're waiting for a camera test. And you go through these fittings and your first fitting, you don't ever find the character in your first fitting. You know, yeah. it takes so many hours of nibbling at the, the wigs because the hair doesn't grow back and they're so expensive. So you're like nibble, nibble, nibble. And then, and then you have to set them a different way. And maybe you bake them with flock rollers or maybe you set them on pin curls and then you try different processes. And basically in the end, the camera test is the point where you can measure other people's reactions. So camera test is the time that I feel physically sick. And I know that it's the first time that Peter Morgan's gonna see the work. It's the first time that the kind of collective group of people um, whose opinions I need, you know, care about and, and need to care about are going to see the work. 
but it's also the first time that you see your actor in costume as well as in hair and makeup. And I think, so that's, I always feel really anxious about that and for the feedback, but for season five, I didn't get any notes. Oh, wow. And I was like, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, who has been the hardest character to find over your sort of four, four season arc? Okay. That's a really good question. Let me think about that for a minute. Because it's probably like you you think about all of the really known principal actors. But yeah. for me, it's probably like like number 246, the Archbishop of Canterbury. You know, like it's yeah. like a person that gets cast late in the day that you don't have as much time. Um, we had a character, we had a character, I mean, a character, John Major, but not Johnny Lee Miller. We had a John Major briefly in season four and they cast this lovely actor who in his audition had used gray hair wax. And because they see audition tapes, you know, on like low res devices, no one had clocked that it wasn't real. So they thought they were doing me a favor because they cast this guy. And then he, he walks into the fitting and he's got, he's like Iranian or something. Like he's got like, tanned skin black hair and I just the terror knowing that he was on camera in a week's time but we got the wig on and we managed it and it you know it worked but I think that was pretty tough I think Tobias is Philip because he had to change from a brunette to a blonde so there was a lot of eyebrow bleaching um and a very tight sort of military style wig I think that was very challenging Mm. I'll probably think of something further down the line and be like oh (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. Um, And I mean, just in our final few minutes, I mean, what, what do you hope that, I mean, people take away from this project, ultimately? I mean, this is such a, it's such a historical sort of, I don't know, project that, I mean, will sort of stand the test of time. And I mean, what do you hope 15, 20, 50 years from now, people are saying about this particular family and this particular show. I hope, I hope that's true. I think the thing that I loved about it, because I came to it as a fan, is it's like, it's sort of like a social history of Britain, but through the paradigm of the monarchy. And I think there is so many things that we have covered because we have leapt through decades, like the Aberfan disaster, where people actually, there are loads of people have no idea about that. Um, you know, the, there was the sinking of the Belgrano and Thatcher, uh, the Queen's relationships with the Prime Ministers. I th- and I think that's, that's sort of the whole show turns on that. And, and I hope that people can watch it and find a version of history that is interesting and exciting and, and maybe something they haven't thought about, a perspective they haven't thought about before. Mm. And I hope yeah. that it's believable. Like, I hope that it feels like w- what we never want to do is parody and what we don't want to do is something hokey. So the thing I hope is people watch it, what they end up seeing is a drama about people in a family. You know, in that way, it's no different to succession, is it? It's, it's, it's a drama where people feel pain, they feel love. You know, there's highs, there's lows. And I hope that, that more than anything, that, that that it doesn't date, like that stands the test of time and that the look of it is, I hope, so authentic that it will always look like the 1980s or the 1960s rather than 
the 2020s does the 1960s mm. you know like in yeah. the way like Oliver the musical looks like uh, I don't know the Victorian era through a 1960s lens mm. yeah so I, yeah absolutely I mean I I studied abroad in Leicester uh, I mean probably 10 years ago now um and I mean you're kind of just in this moment where it's like oh I'm here I'm just in I'm running around and I I really didn't know anything about the royal family it's just kind of they're just this figure that just sort of dominates I mean an entire country and you just you don't really realize everything that happens or yeah. any of the social ramifications or the political ramifications or anything like that and so it's been I mean I think that's why I enjoy the show so much is that I just get to dive into something that is so unknown and you have no clue what that sort of like one one episode is going to cover that you had no, like the Aberfan episode I I mean why cover it I mean I, it makes sense totally but I mean there are so many different things that you could hit on that sort of ties into the um ties that's, into what, that, right? that's what I love about Peter's work is that he uses history to tell a story but it's so clever. And I, I have equally read those scripts and just been like, what? And I think the window into that private world because they're so private, but actually the research is so um, robust that, that you really can take the, you know, those broad brushstrokes. You, you can take that and, and, and kind of understand them a bit. And it's, they're, they're as mystical and mysterious to me as they are to you and I live here. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.